In the world of sports, there's a game changer on the horizon. It's not a new team or a new player. It's a movement. It's called Her Game 2. Her Game 2 is a not-for-profit organisation championing inclusivity and diversity in sports. We believe in a level playing field where everyone, regardless of gender, can enjoy, participate and excel in the sport they love. Join us in making sports a game for all. Visit www.hergame2.co.uk to learn more and get involved. Hergame 2, tackling sexism and championing women in sports because the love of the game knows no gender. Australian World Cup podcast. My name is Stuart Kavanagh and I'm joined by my partner in crime, Callum Logie. Callum, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Very, very exciting knockout football. It's just, we thought the stakes were high at match day three. And um, if you listen to that episode, they definitely felt like the stakes were high. They're even higher now and not going to get any lower as we move along. Absolutely, mate. I couldn't agree more. And we are joined by the man who's threatening to make our duo a trio, Mr. Jason Irvine, the uh, social media guru behind the Australian World Cup podcast twitter and instagram accounts jason how you doing pal yeah i'm doing well been a crazy couple of days watching these round of 16 matches and i i predict it'll only get crazier so uh yeah i'm really keen to chat about the games that have been with you all and uh, predict the next stage with you as well absolutely mate it has been crazy now don't get me wrong boys i love football i love it give it to me, give it all to me all the time. But I've been really thankful for these couple of rest days we've had. Am I alone here or are you guys on the same page? Uh, Yeah, a little bit on the same page. It has been nice to have a bit of a relaxing, uh, you know, couple of days in between um, these stages of the tournament, especially like throughout the group stages. Like it just seems like there was so much and like obviously we love it. I don't want to like stop watching or anything like that. Like I just want it to keep coming. But uh, yeah, it does hit a point sometimes where you are thankful. So um, yeah, it just gives you time to sort of like reassess what have ha- what's happened, look ahead to the next stage. And I think that you do need that time to do both of those things. Absolutely. It's been an onslaught. Would you agree, Callum? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the whole thing in terms of, especially going into the knockout stages, is we need more time to analyze what's happening. And if you've been, you know, watching the news, been listening to what's been going on, you've been thinking a lot about selection issues, which obviously we'll be going into soon. But having that extra moment to think about it and having, you know, being able to formulate your views and formulate kind of your your reaction to certain things with a little little bit more you know time I guess um, a little bit more more sleep to uh, to think and process things you know I think that can definitely help yeah I think that's what makes the knockout stages that much more exciting you know because you have that bit of anticipation between the games right you know almost a week between the two Matildas games so that's very exciting and um, you know it, it builds up the hype even more absolutely uh, excitement anticipation hype that's what knockout football is all about and we're going to get right into it by talking about the knockout stages. Rosa foul, lovely run, great goal, brilliant goal. Rosa foul might have won the World Cup for the United States. All right, let's get straight into the knockout phase of the Women's World Cup. It was the round of 16. We had eight matches to feast upon. And, of course, our first stop is what our first stop always is, and it is the Matildas and their victory over Denmark. Um, I'm going to throw to you guys first because I've got I've obviously got some thoughts too. But, uh, Jason, why don't you take us through what you thought of uh, the Matildas' victory over Denmark? Yeah, no, I think that we um, controlled most of the game. You know, we took the lead. We never really looked back and I think that after that point we probably did yeah control most of the game you know our defense was really strong obviously Mackenzie Arnold in the goals as well you know all our players played uh, like they wanted to win like you know that was obviously the aim um, and the goal and they achieved that there are a couple of questions about whether we would win or not going into it but it seemed like all the players were on the same page and that really helped um, them all out on the pitch I thought that you know our transition from the the back third uh, was really 
really strong. Um, I'm sure that we'll get into it, but Mary Fowler, all of her through balls and all of her lobs from, you know, across the other side of the pitch to players running into that attacking third, probably set up a lot of goals and a lot of chances for us. And uh, yeah, I think that it's you know, just... All of us being on the same page, I think that, you know, we really knew like what the play was, uh, what the style was that we wanted to play, how we could beat Denmark. And that all came off really, really well in this game, obviously with the 2-0 win. So I think that it was the execution of uh, what the game style, the game plan might have been, what might have been talked about um, before the game and even at half time. Um, I think that, you know, the execution of that is really what got Australia over the line. Yeah, it was a tremendous performance. And Mary Fowler, my God, what a legend she is. She was uh, absolutely tremendous. Sam who? We got Mary <laughs> Fowler up front, right? She's she's pulling all the strings. I don't know how she didn't get two assists. I thought she had two assists. I thought that for a couple of days, actually, <laughs> until I actually read a match report and saw that she only had one assist. So that's a little bit bizarre. And also the crowd. I just want to touch on the crowd. I just, I know we've got a tall order coming up in the uh, quarterfinals, and I'm not going to step on that fixture right here but when you got 75 80 000 people just cheering you along like crazy I, I just i find it really hard to see a scenario where we don't take advantage of that and uh and and we don't win to be honest with you uh, i could have my green and gold glasses on right now though that's very true callum why don't you give us your sort of analysis of uh, the matildas matchup yeah, sure. I definitely can. So 2-0 victory. Very good. Very solid. The Matildas, as is kind of becoming a theme, um, were a bit jittery for the first 20-25 minutes. But they got over those jitters. And I think, you know, as long as they, they maintain their shape and they've done so very well in these last two games, then they're able to hold off those initial jitters and then get into the game and start creating chances. And, you know, as Jason alluded to there, the big chance that was created, Caitlin Ford's goal, was by an excellent pass from Mary Fowler. And up until that moment, Fowler had been very much shut down and even through a lot of the game a lot of the the Danish players knew that she was kind of the dangerous player the the number 10 creative kind of forward so there was very often two even three players right on her when she got the ball so she had to quickly either pass it back to Cooney Cross or Gori or had to go backwards to to, to a fullback it, it was it was difficult difficult for a while but once she was given that space once she she took her chance took that moment it was an absolutely perfectly weighted ball and you know Caitlin Ford in a one-on-one situation probably take her every time yeah absolutely I did have a comment to make on that Callum just let my brain catch up we we talked about this at work today you know the cog is still working there's just a bit of rust there <laughs> with my advancing years um <laughs> Uh, no, Mary Fell, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. I thought she was uh, she was at the centre of everything good that happened. She was under a lot of pressure. I felt like she dealt with it really well, though. She never seemed flustered. I don't think she really turned the ball over too many times. They certainly were all over her. The Arsenal connection down that wing definitely helped us out a lot. Catley and Ford, they were tremendous. The one thing we need to talk about that neither of you guys have spoken about, and I've only uttered the, the first part of her name, is uh, the whole Sam Kerr scenario. She finally got on the pitch. She gave us all a heart attack when it looked like she'd injured herself when she slipped over. But uh, I've, I've got a couple of questions, Sam Kerr related for you guys. But I guess the first one, Callum, and I'll go to you first. How, how did you sort of judge her, her, her cameo performance against the Danes? I think it was probably about what you expected. It's been a while since she's played. So um, she had that pass that went, well, it went into space, but that space just kind of kept going. So <laughs> I guess that wasn't wasn't as as productive as she'd have maybe hoped for but she she hadn't she hasn't lost a step of pace as you know it's kind of her whole thing um and she she looked really quick really dangerous she had a bit of a half a chance was over the bar but it was a good effort and i think you know just the the value of having her return having her fit to play or at least for the, for the 10 minutes that she did play for um was really really important for us depending on her fitness levels i could definitely see it as a possibility of her starting or we'll obviously talk to that a little bit more i think the matildas are that much more dangerous with Sam Kerr and that's not taking anything away from Mary Fowler who's been excellent like you said and it's not taking anything away from Van Egmont who's done a very good job playing up front and playing a really supportive role but Sam Kerr every time she touches the ball feels dangerous and we have some very talented players 
but I don't think anyone quite has that same effect. If she's able to, and particularly since France is the next fixture, we'll probably need that. Yeah, I, I sort of think that, uh, you know, the Australian public need Sam Kerr to play more than the Matildas need Sam Kerr to play. It makes us all feel safe, comfortable, that we've got one of the world's best strikers on the pitch and, you know, she's always good for a goal, always good for a big goal too. I think that uh, the France game is going to be a tall order for the Matildas. Once again, not stepping on it. We'll get to our predictions later. I, I do think that there's a bit of an element about that. I think the the media circus would die down a little bit, particularly surrounding Sam Kerr. Uh, fans will feel a bit more comfortable. They'll be a bit more excited because of what she can produce which uh, you sort of alluded to there Callum and uh, it'll be interesting it'll be interesting to see um, I thought that she was very rusty when she uh, when she came on the pitch like you said that uh, pass that uh, headed to space almost collided with Roberto Baggio's 1994 penalty against Brazil but you know you want to get these things out of the way in the round of 16. Jace what did you think of uh, Sam Kerr's performance for the Tillies in the round of 16 against Denmark? Yeah, I guess it was only for like, you know, 10, 15 minutes, came on the 80th minute. So, but I think like, you know, that's sort of like what we might have expected. Thought that she was going to come on pretty late and, you know, we were two up, two nil up at this stage or, you know, just freshly two nil up. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, that second goal went in and we saw Sam Kerr warming up on the sidelines before that. And that second goal went in and my mind went to, oh, okay, so we're not going to see her. Like, <laughs> but no, we did. And, uh, I think that, yeah, like, like you guys both said, um, I think that it was important that she got some time out on the pitch, got a feel for the game, um, which will definitely help us and help her going forward. Some of these, you know, stronger matchups as the um, competition sort of gets down to those uh, final teams, obviously in the final eight now. And so I think that that was really important. I think that it was good to iron out any cobwebs. Um, like Callum said, she hasn't played for a while. And I think that, you know, like she can be really dangerous. I think that um, there was a play where got the ball down to her feet um, and sort of turned the opposition play inside out and, you know, made a chance for goal and stuff like that. And so I think that even from that, like you can see how damaging she is um, just in her playmaking ability and her ability to read the ball and everything like that and her being just a valuable asset to the Australian team and so even in such a short amount of time she was able to display that taking that um, you know wayward kick aside I think that uh, you know like she showed just in that small little window that she had on the field of what she is capable of and if she can do that for 90 minutes you know if she gets the start um, against France then we have a great chance um, I think that she's yeah already displaying that in such a short amount of time. All right, I'm going to throw it to you, okay? Tony Gustafsson, he has some kind of horrible car crash. He can't manage the team, okay? The entire coaching staff has been obliterated. Jason Irvine is the man they call, and you're picking the team for the France game. Are you starting Sam Kerr? Yes. Callum, same scenario? I don't know her level of fitness, mm. but if she's fit, yes. I think whether she's fit, whether she's not fit, I think that you you start her on the bench. She's got to start on the bench. Maybe give her thirty minutes uh, off the bench if it's looking hairy. But I think the the girls on the pitch that have done it in the first four games, you know, and and even prior to that in the uh, World Cup send off game against France, our opponents in the quarterfinal, they got the job done. So I think you need to back them in. I would be incredibly surprised if she starts against France. But we're all happy they beat Denmark. And uh, this Saturday night, 5 p.m., hopefully we can defeat France too. But more on that later. Let's get in to the rest of the games, boys, because there are plenty to get through. So let's throw to you first, Callum. What's one of the games that you've got covered here? Oh, oh. Let's get the uh, let's get the pain out of the way, mate. The Netherlands and South Africa. I thought South Africa were fantastic in defeat against uh, against the Dutch. It was always going to be a tall order for them to win. Talk us through um, what was surely a painful night of the Logie household. Oh, look, it, it, it was okay. South Africa played very very well. They created a few chances, and they were unlucky not to get a goal um, in the end because they 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 definitely can can go out of the tournament with the heads held high. They played very well, but the Netherlands, while maybe not playing fully to their potential. They're that level of talented and in that kind of form with that kind of momentum that even when they're not at their best, they'll be able to get a result. And it was closer than it looked on paper. It was a 2-0 win for the Netherlands mm -hmm. and um, their goals were were 
Well, their first goal was well worked. Their second goal was a very unfortunate mistake from the goalkeeper. But those things happen. Um, up until then, Kalen Sword had been very, very good. It, it would have been, been a tall ask for them to get back after falling behind against the Netherlands. So I think, you know, it was as good a performance as they could have hoped for. Just wasn't to be on the occasion. Yeah, definitely a respectable defeat. I think you, you touched on goalkeepers there and the unfortunate mistake made by the South African goalkeeper. I think you've got to talk about the Netherlands goalkeeper as well because there was a there was a 20-25-minute passage in that game where South Africa were just laying siege to the Dutch goal and uh, she she managed to keep him out. Arguably a man-in-the-match performance by the Dutch goalkeeper. Fantastic performance by South Africa. They're still African champions. You can't take that away from them and uh, I think they'll be back bigger and stronger in the 2027 World Cup but let's uh, let's pivot let's switch to another game and uh, perhaps a team that uh, might have learned a thing or two from South Africa and that's Switzerland who were absolutely smashed by Spain now this was a this was a very comfortable victory for La Roja and uh, Switzerland were never really in it, were they, Jace? No, definitely not. You know, yeah, it was like you said, it was just a dominant performance from Spain. I think that uh, they've been pretty dominant throughout this tournament, say for that Japan game. Um, they've just been, I don't know what to say. Like, you know, they've just been banging the goals um, all tournament, except for that Spain, um, that Japan game, sorry. And I think that, yeah, it was just no different here. So they're just, you know, a goal-scoring machine of a team. Um, you know, like they've definitely put other teams on notice, I think their goal scoring ability uh, with their ability to get forward and you know create so many chances as well um, it was really impressive and uh, yeah unfortunately Switzerland were uh, you know in the firing line Switzerland uh, didn't even you know I mean they scored but uh, they didn't score um, <laughs> I think that we uh, found that a couple of times throughout these round of 16 matches and just a fun fact um, all the losers of this game didn't actually score themselves um, so I think that that was a uh, really interesting fact there but uh, yeah like I said um, you know just a bit of a statement win from Spain Aitana Bonmati had a brace um, there are a couple of other goals as well um, Laia Kadena made up for the own goal uh, by scoring a goal herself so cancelling that out and yeah I guess um, you know there might have been some questions asked when they lost against Japan um, by such a large margin and um, a shutout as well and so I think that they've answered that you know, Switzerland tried as they might um, with their sort of attack. But uh, yeah, I think that um, Spain could have easily had a few more goals had uh, Gael Thaman, Switzerland's goalkeeper, not been uh, so great uh, at stopping, you know, the ones that she did. And so I think that, uh, yeah, it was just truly a dominant performance from Spain. Um, I think that, yeah, they'll, you know, be hard to come up against um, in the rest of the tournament. Um, and so, yeah, I'm sure they've put everyone in on notice and be really, you know, other teams will be fearful of coming up against them um, based on this performance, um, especially too. Yeah, the Spaniards are looming large. They really are looking a threat from that side of the bracket. I'd be very surprised if they're not in the mix in the final four. Now, you mentioned the Japan team, and I don't think that's a mistake, Jason, because Japan had a very comfortable win over Norway. My beloved Norway, my beloved Ingrid Engen are uh, out of the tournament and on Angen as well just for all the listeners out there she scored an own goal unfortunately in the first 15 minutes now most people most empathetic compassionate people would think ah oh, that must suck that's really bad for her let me just tell you all all our loyal listeners out there that my two esteemed colleagues here that are on the podcast with me couldn't wait to shoot me a message and say at least she scored now <laughs> <laughs> you're heartless both of you heartless but Bastards. <laughs> but uh, no, all joking aside, um, Japan were clearly the better side. Hanada Mizikawa, did I say Miyazawa? Miyazawa, yeah. she she is tremendous. She is the leading scorer at the tournament with five goals now. Norway, even though they managed to equalise, even when the score was one-one in the first half, going into halftime, you never really felt confident that Norway could turn it around. They were wearing arguably the best shirts at the tournament. That. Japanese away kit, get a load of it if you haven't yet. Um, what are you What are you doing? It's it's fantastic, and it was great to see him wear those shirts and and win. And I'm saying this a lot, right? Um, I said it about Spain. I said it about the Netherlands. But I, I mentioned in our preview podcast when we were previewing just before the tournament started. I said that the Asian nations might have a bit of an advantage with the competition being played in Australia, so close to home. And uh, I don't think there's any greater example of that 
and uh, Japan, who will qualify for the quarterfinals for the first time since 2015. You know, I know when you get to the final eight, any one of the eight can make it through to the final. Um, it really wouldn't surprise me if uh, if they're there on August 20th, maybe even against Australia. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's how the draw works out. But uh, you know, um, Japan are uh, are looming large. Also, it's not just the Spaniards. Okay, so we got a couple of penalty shootout results to talk about next. Callum, I'll throw to you first. England versus Nigeria. And the big talking point in this game is Lauren James, who has been tremendous. Um, I think we established that, you know, Reese James is known as Lauren James' brother now, even though he's just been made Chelsea captain ahead of the Premier League season. But uh, she received a red card that uh, that effectively ends her tournament. But England go through on penalties. Uh, talk us through that one, Cal. Yeah. I mean, on the balance of how the game went, they probably shouldn't have. Bailed out by Mary Earps, who's been fantastic all tournament, managed to hold Nigeria's score, scores throughout 120 minutes. And Nigeria had a few very good chances. And um, she made some excellent saves. So um, definitely credit needs to be given there. And, you know, as we've seen already a couple of times, when it gets down to penalties, anything can happen. And uh, anything did happen in the form of the most powerful goal of the year. Chloe <laughs> Kelly, 111 kilometers an hour for a penalty kick. For the winning penalty kick, I don't think there's any more emphatic way to win. And in what was quite a shaky and quite a difficult game for England, they managed mm-hmm. to 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 take take that as their endpoint to bring into momentum going into their their quarterfinal. Yeah. Do you think Nigeria perhaps missed a trick by not sort of you know attacking the ten the ten player squad of England once Lawrence James got the red card? I just don't think that they capitalized enough on their numerical advantage and really missed a trick. I think they could have, if they did sort of go a bit more of an attacking route, they might have been able to knock England out of this tournament. Yeah, I think there's probably definitely some merit to that argument. I don't think it was for a lack of trying, but I think they were overplaying. When they saw that they had the extra player, they did what a lot of teams do when they had the extra player, and they passed it around quite a lot, you know, trying to make use of the space of one less person. Mm -hmm. But they're better served playing more directly, and I think when they tried to kind of pivot to that more more slower, kind of methodical style, it it ended up backfiring because they just weren't able to create the same quality of chances that they were able to create when it was 11 versus 11. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's something they need to look at tactically in terms of what they do moving forward um, because they were probably the team that deserved to win this game and they didn't end up getting it done. And a lot of that was probably to do with how they changed their approach after the sending off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Another team that really, they went down, but they went down flying their flag. They were tremendous Nigeria. And I think the Super Falcons are another one that are going to be one to watch at the 2027 World Cup. Just uh, by the by, and this is off the cuff a little bit here, boys, but do we know where the 2027 World Cup is being staged? I'm just going to say that uh, I think if it's held on the continent of Africa, we might well get an African winner of the 2027 World Cup, such as the strength of the performances of some of these African sides at this year's competition. Now, going from almost a massive shock between Nigeria and England to something that, regardless of it being the world number one versus the world number three, was still a humongous shock, arguably the biggest shock of the most shocking World Cup in in living memory, men's or women's. It's been incredible. Not only did Germany and Brazil get knocked out at the group stage, but also the world number one, the United States women's national team were eliminated by Sweden and Jason is going to take us through exactly what happened here. Yeah, well, uh, this is just a editor's note to the uh, Jason that edits this podcast. If you could insert the grab of me saying that Sweden would win this in the last episode, that would be great. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) No, but um, I think that, yeah, it was billed as a really big game, maybe the biggest game of this tournament. Um, Obviously, with Germany being out, it was one versus three. Like you said and I think that it lived up to that absolutely I think that uh yeah in the last episode I said that I was in Melbourne um going into Melbourne and hoping to get a ticket for this game and I actually did so I was in the stands to witness this and it was just spectacular I think that you know just being there I didn't even know what was happening at the end it was that crazy um I was only disappointed that it wasn't happening down the end that I was at you know going back to the game I think that I've been critical of the USA on this um podcast I don't think they've been unconvinced but they were probably the better team um, in this game 
game. I think that they were brilliant. They probably created the most chances. They were more attacking than what I've seen of them throughout this tournament. It was like whenever they saw space that was open, they just went for it. And, you know, their crosses were dangerous. It was just really disappointing that none of their, uh, you know, attackers and none of their strikers could um, connect or get into the position of where the ball was heading. Also, part of that, part of why it went to penalties as well was obviously uh, Sweden's keeper. Um, obviously have to give big props to her uh, Zarika Moskovic. The amount of saves that she made was just, and like tough saves too, um, like no shot that was fired on target was easy for her to save. She was just brilliant. Like it was wonderful to see, um, you know, at the ground. I'm sure that it was, you know, just as um, spectacular seeing it at home as well. And uh, I think that she was a large reason why the game went to extra time, why it went to penalties as well. I think that, yeah, when it got to penalties, I think that, um, you know, she was still great, um, but obviously, you know, anything can happen in penalties and quite different to an in-game um, in play sort of scenario. But I think that, you know, this penalty shootout, um, you know, that was equally as dramatic as the game itself, I think. And I think that with this penalty shootout, like, I think that I was possibly thinking that, like, you know, the USA might have gone, um, you know, or might have gone the way of the USA um, just because of the power on their team and, you know, known sort of penalty uh takers um but in this game like i remember saying to um you know a friend that i went to the game with and you know like you probably expect the players that missed the penalties for the usa to make the penalties players like megan rapino sophia smith um kelly o'hara um you probably expect that they'd make those penalties and instead you have Alyssa and Alyssa naylor um, making a penalty it's like it was just crazy and so yeah, um, crazy game. Um, Sweden won 5-4 on penalties. It was just, you know, dramatic right until that final second, right until, um, you know, the millimetre that the ball crossed the line. Yeah, it was literally a case of millimetres, which confused Americans around the globe. Um, they had to reach for their uh, conversion charts to figure that one out. But uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. Interesting fact, Naylor becomes the first goalkeeper, man or woman, to score in a penalty shootout at a World Cup which is incredible. Bit of a savage way for Megan Rapino to uh, finish her career, missing a penalty, known as a penalty specialist, a pressure player, and uh, for her to go out the way she did was... Uh, it, it was sad. And Sophia Smith, a lot of us picked Sophia Smith to be the breakout star of this tournament. I mean, she's already a star, but we expected her to push to that next level, that next, you know, superstar level, dare I say. And it just, it sort of just didn't happen for her. And then, uh, and a poor tournament was sort of tapped off. Well, I guess you can't call it a poor tournament. She did score two in the first game. Or maybe you can. I'm underside. A tournament ended with her hitting the post in a penalty shootout and uh, literally in tears on the field. I've, I've watched a lot of football games, boys, over the years. I've never seen one decided by goal line technology and by such a slim, slim margin too. Just incredible stuff. And, uh, you know, just for the pure a spectacle just for the drama it's got to be in the conversation for perhaps the match of the tournament and jason you lucky bastard you got a ticket to it <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll need to thank uh edge of the crowd co-founder um jackie dodd for that one so thank you jackie. <laughs> uh moving on to the last couple of games france versus morocco france blitzed morocco in eight minutes um a bit of a sad way for them to go out they sort of fell over the line not to take anything away from them it was incredible we watched them qualify live on the last podcast and it was incredible stuff but that was the peak of their tournament they fell somewhat predictably to a very strong france team 4-0 and uh i'm not gonna lie to you boys i didn't see much of colombia versus jamaica and i know it's on the list as my game but if one of you guys have some more insight than i do by all means take it away Sure, yeah. It was um it's quite an even game. Um Jamaica definitely made a really good goal of it. And I think probably on paper it was the most even game because there were kind of two teams that overperformed, I suppose, like like performed above expectations. So they were both very excited to be there. Um there was a lot of good quality football, a lot of good chances. And uh Colombia were ultimately good enough to get the one goal that got them the win. So it was it was a it was a pretty good match. I'm very excited because I get to see Columbia, England live, and that's going to be incredible atmosphere-wise. Absolutely. That is going to be a beast of a game, Callum. Um, you're going to have to report back on this very podcast at the quarterfinal wrap. Very excited for you, mate. Now, 
If I told you two boys on the preview podcast that a South American team would be in the quarterfinals playing England and I said it was going to be Colombia and not Brazil, you would have had me committed. You would have thought I was a madman. But here we are. It's the beauty of tournament football. So that's the round of 16 wrap. Okay, just a quick one, boys, off the cuff. Who was the player of the round of 16? Jason, go. I've got to say, uh, Sweden's goalkeeper, Zerika Mosakovic. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I'm 100% going to agree with that. I think that she was the best player. Just a brick wall in goals against the United States and pulled off that, helped pull off that incredible victory for the Swedes. Cow, who are you got, bud? In between two. Mm-hmm. I was initially going to say Caitlin Ford because her goal was excellent and her work rate was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm going to need to say Hinata Miyazawa because... Mm-hmm her rise from kind of not being all that known of a player on this Japan team. Like, Japan have a few, like, pretty well-known players, some stars, right? Mm -hmm. Miyazawa, 23 years old, plays in the Japanese league, probably wasn't very known outside of Japan until now. Almost everyone knows her name. It was another excellent performance proving that, you know, the first brace wasn't a fluke. The Mm -hmm. second brace, we probably should have known, wasn't a fluke. (laughs) Um, (laughs) She is an excellent, excellent player. Really creative, really dangerous when she's on the ball. You know how I spoke about Kerr earlier in the episode. Miyazawa started to have that kind of effect and having that kind of player on a Japanese team, so much belief we could we could be witnessing quite quite an historic rise. Absolutely. We we spoke about Sophia Smith and and you know becoming that breakout superstar, but uh perhaps Miyazawa is the one that we all should have been keeping our eye on. She's been tremendous. Japan's been tremendous. That's the round of 16. Ryan was in the unnatural position, so it is a penalty to England. No problems, top corner, England lead. All right, with the round of 16 out of the way, we've got the quarterfinals to talk about, and we are down to the final seven, eight, I suppose, if you include the uh, third-place playoff, which is really a glorified friendly. But uh, we've got seven competitive games, one that will probably be a bit of fun. Um, And we're just going to go through them here. Um, We've all been assigned a game to have a look at, see who's going to win. We're all going to give predictions, but only one of us is going to explain why for each game. We'll save the Matildas for the end just to keep the listeners hanging on. Um, Let's go with you first, Cal. You've got Spain versus Netherlands and arguably... Uh, actually, looking at the fixtures, I'll, I'll take that back. It's not arguably. It, it, it's as competitive as the rest of the quarterfinal games. Before you get into it, I think it's important to say that all these quarterfinal games are kind of on a nice edge. They could go either way. All the teams have been they've qualified relatively comfortably. So take it away, pal. Spain, Netherlands. How's it going to go? Yeah. So I think um, my level of editorializing here is going to be, it'll probably be the most exciting game in terms of goal mouth action. They've probably been the two best attackers teams, even though, you know, Spain had that slip up where they didn't score in that game. Mm-hmm. But other than that, they've been spectacular going forward. The Netherlands have been spectacular going forward. And both teams have some very exciting young players, some very good experienced players. I would be shocked if this was nil all. Um, I think mm-hmm. it's going to I think it's going to go to to extra time, actually. But I think just the amount of firepower that Spain has and the fact that it's knockout football, I think they're probably going to edge it three two. I actually think Spain is going to go through as well. I think they're probably, there's a strong European contingent left in the competition. I think Spain are probably the strongest. So so I'm going to go with Spain too. Jace, who have you got for this one, mate? Yeah, I probably have Spain maybe 2-1. I don't think there'll be as many goals as that, but there'll definitely be goals from both sides. Okay, Spain 2-1. Callum says Spain 3-2. And I just say Spain because I'm a chicken. No, I'll go... uh, I'll go Spain 3-1 just to split the difference. Next game we've got is Japan versus Sweden. And this is your remit, Jace. Japan versus Sweden is going to be an exciting clash. How do you see it playing out? Uh, yeah, no, this will be a very interesting clash. I think that, uh, you know, Callum brought her up before, um, Hinata Miyazawa. Um, you know, obviously has been a goal scoring machine at this World Cup and, uh, Zerika Musakovic, um, obviously in the Swedish goals. Um, I think that that'll be a really interesting matchup. Um, you know, possibly the best striker of this tournament versus the best goalkeeper. Who knows? But, uh, I think that, yeah, this should be a really interesting matchup. Um, I think both teams have been strong. So it'll be a really tight game. Um, but I think that what will happen, what will help in 
Japan's favour will be that they have conceded nothing so far this tournament. I don't think, I think that my prediction at the start of uh, this tournament was that Sweden was going to win, but I don't think that they'll go through this game just because of how strong Japan has been. So I think that I have Japan going through, we'll say 1-0. Okay, the end of the road for the Swedes, according to Jace Callum, do you concur? Um, I do. I'm just very surprised and impressed that Japan has won over Jason because Jason was very staunchly behind the whole Sweden are going to win the whole thing uh, situation. <laughs> and, you know, they still, going they still into are. The... I'm just not tipping them this. <laughs> okay, yes. So they're still going to win, even though you've said they're going to lose. Okay, I understand now. <laughs> sure. Um, this will be a great game. Probably the two best teams of the tournament so far are going to go go up against each other. I think... Yeah, I think Japan probably just edge it. I'd say 2-1. Okay, interesting. Um, I'm going to buck the trend here. I think Japan have been great, and I know I talked a, a lot of smack about the Asian teams having an advantage by, you know, having a World Cup in their region, if not at home at, in their region. But I think Sweden, through your pick for the golden boot, Callum, Fridolin Orolfo might, uh, might lead them to victory. I'm going to say 2-1. Um, it'll be a sad day to see Japan dumped out of the tournament, but I just think Sweden will sneak through. Now, before we move on to the next bracket, boys, if things play out the way that we've said they're going to play out, we're going to have Spain-Japan, if Callum and Jason are right, in one semifinal, and Spain and Sweden in the other semifinal. So just quick one-word answer, Spain-Japan, who wins that semifinal? Jace, go. Uh, Spain on penalties. Cal? Japan because of mental edge. Okay. I'm going to go Sweden to uh, defeat Spain and make it to the uh, World Cup final. But let's move on to the next bracket. And I have been given the task of talking about England versus Colombia. Now, prior to the 75th, 80th minute in the England-Nigeria game, I would have picked this as an England victory all day long. Uh, Lauren James, we've spoken several times on this podcast about the breakout star of the tournament. I think she was in pole position for that title prior to her brain snap uh, where she stomped on a Nigerian player and got a red card That's that that, that has effectively ended her tournament. And Colombia um, with Linda Casado, just, uh, you know, another one that could be in the, in the running for the star of the tournament. I think that they're, they're, they're a good thing. They The support that the Colombians have, I'm actually a little bit surprised that. I don't know how many of that support is expats, how many is it, you know, people's second teams, how many people have actually travelled over from Colombia for the World Cup, but their support has been fantastic. Callum, you're going to be at this game. It's going to be wild. Maybe I'm just burnt from uh, following England through eight World Cups where they just always seem to choke when they should probably win. Um, I just don't see it with a happy ending for the European champions. And I think the, uh, you know, the surprise of the tournament, maybe you'd call them Colombia, are going to uh, maybe win this one. And it's going to be England's old foe, the penalty shootout that uh, sees them eliminated, I believe. Boys? Uh, I would love for that to happen, honestly. Um, I think that that would be a great story. Colombia, uh, like we said, uh, like we've said, I think throughout each of these episodes that we've done, at least, um, you know, in competition, that Colombia have surprised us. But I think that they've been playing really good football at the same time. Um, so I'd love for Colombia to win this game. Um, I don't think that they will. I think that it, they might be able to push um, England to 90 minutes, but I think that for 120 minutes, maybe not. Um, and so I probably predict England in extra time. Callum, what do you got, mate? I want to agree with you for the Colombia on penalties. I really do. I really hope to see Colombia succeed just because I think it'll be amazing being in the stadium for bye. Absolutely. Just in my in my head, and I and I'm picking this picking this with my head rather than picking it with my gut, which might be might be a bad instinct, but it just feels like England of too much quality, England of too much kind of proven quality. And with the USA out, they'll feel this is theirs to win. So I think with that level of feeling feeling determined to get the result. And how dangerous without scoring all that much Daly and Russo have looked. I think they're gonna gonna come good, and I think it'll be a two-one victory to to England. Wow. Okay. So I am the odd one out yet again. I've gone the underdogs, Colombia. You guys have gone the easy route by picking the favourites, England. Um, no shade there. It's fine. Um, let's move on to the match that everyone's hung around and listened to us talk about all these other games for, and it's the Matildas versus France. It is the the biggest match in Australian football 
history, I think it's fair to say, because, uh, you know, you win a quarterfinal, um, you, you, you're instantly there in the last two days, whether it's in the glorified friendly of the third place playoff or if it's in the big dance itself. Now, guys, uh, who wants to go first? Who wants to uh, talk about what they think might happen? Or do you want me to go first? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to let all the air out of the balloon straight away. I think <laughs> we'll beat the Matildas on Saturday night. I think that they will probably beat us comfortably. Um, I think they'll probably win by two goals, I reckon. And the reason I think this is, I think the pressure from the media, from the Australian public is going to be too strong and they are going to start Sam Kerr, which I don't think is the correct thing to do. I'd love to be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I think Sam Kerr is going to start. We're going to look a bit stunted in that forward three, in that forward half, sorry. And uh, I think France, who who have shown that they're up for this, they're up for the tournament. Now, we talk about England. Well, you spoke, Callum, about England thinking with the United States gone, this is their tournament to win. I think Spain and France particularly have a bit of a chip on their shoulder that, uh, you know, both of those squads went through some drama that saw them not bring their strongest squads to the Euros in 2022. Um, not all those players have come back, but some of them have. And I think that uh, I think that the France team, they just look too strong. I think if we start Sam Kerr, you've got Wendy Renard there, who I think will probably keep her in her pocket for most of the game, particularly if Sam Kerr is only at 75, 80% fitness. And, uh, yep, I bet you regret getting me to talk about it first now because I think France will win 2-0. I want to ask... Mm-hmm. Added the caveat if Sam Kerr does not start, say they go off the same lineup, 4-4-2, then Egmond and Fowler up front. Does it play out differently? I think it does. Yeah, I just, I really do think it does. I think, you you know, the girls that you've had on the pitch for those first three, four games now have probably built up enough credit. Um, they've built up enough confidence, which we all know confidence is a huge thing in football. I think that we can, we can take them all the way and it's a bit more of a line ball. Probably the home support gets us over the line. But I think that, you know, I, I, there's just something inside of me that says they're going to start Sam Kerr and it's going to be the wrong thing to do and we might fall over. Like I said, I hope I'm wrong, but uh, and I hope that Mary Fowler and Evie start against France because I think that gives us a stronger chance of winning. But if we're looking into the crystal ball and your crystal ball might say something different, Callum, same with you, Jason, but I'm looking at a mine right now in front of my uh, computer screen and my microphone. And that's just what I see happening, and uh, I think it's going to be the end of the road for the Matildas. All right. Well, on that note. Yeah. Um, Good night, everybody. That's the end of the podcast. <laughs> that's the end. No, um, <laughs> no look, um, I've gone back and forth on what I think is going to happen in this fixture a lot. Mm-hmm. I initially thought, after seeing France's victory over Morocco, that they're going to be very hard hard to beat. And I thought France would probably get the win. And then I thought, maybe it will go to extra time. And if it goes to extra time, maybe the, the, that, that support will, will get them over, right? We'll get the Matildas over. I was, there was even, even a stage earlier today where I was like, you know what? The Matildas have been great. They're going to win 3-1. I yep. don't think that's going to happen. Okay. But you've really swayed me towards the whole, they may play Sam Kerr and that may be a mistake. I kind of failed to consider like throughout thinking about this about yeah if sam kerr's not at 100 percent, sam kerr's at 100 percent. she's starting in every single team right mm-hmm. we don't actually know that when she went down that freaked everybody out and that's you know that level of doubt that level of what if something happens to her again will probably play on the teammates minds right if she's if she's starting as well absolutely so it's it's very difficult to pick i think that it'll go to extra time and i think that the Matildas will win on penalties. <laughs> Gatlin, just putting everyone's heart through some trauma with his prediction there, if that comes to fruition, mate. I the have Matildas- no idea where that was going. <laughs> Neither did I, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> The Matildas on penalties, honestly, man, I'm here for it. And I just want to reiterate, my prediction is just what I think is going to happen. I don't hope it's going to happen. I'm I'm behind the Matildas 100%, but uh, it's just my fear at the moment. And if Callum's right, I will be one of the happiest men in the country. Uh, Jace, how do you see this one playing out, my friend? Well, now that you've said that, Stewie, I do also believe that, like, obviously, I want the Matildas to win. Um, I'll just state that from the very start. While I want that to win, 
I'm not too sure that it will. Um, I think that, you know, like France have, you know, been sort of like, you know, they've been consistent this tournament, um, I would say. And that may mm-hmm. help them um, throughout this tournament, uh, throughout this quarterfinal. Um, I think that, you know, Australia have sort of played as we might have expected from them. Um, you know, there's been some highs and lows, but France have definitely been a consistent team throughout this whole tournament so far. Possibly that may help them. Um, you know, they know what they want to work towards. They know how to get there. They may shake up the Australian defence um, in a way that, you know, has been strong at certain times throughout this tournament, um, that's for sure. I think that, you know, and so I think that because of that, France may just edge ahead. You know, we may get it to extra time, but I think that that is where it might end. Um, so whether it's, you know, a nil all, a one all, you know, result up until extra time, um, I don't know. But I think that it will go to extra time and France might just be able to edge ahead. I'm sort of like looking at it as in, you know, like I'm sort of thinking about that send-off game against France. I know that, you know, it was only a one nil result. And I know that we were, were able to play sort of an exciting brand of football um we were able to get under their skin we were able to rattle them a bit but i think that in tournament it's a bit different as well um and so some of those things that ne- that worked in that game might not necessarily work in this game obviously you might have different combinations different players being involved and sam kerr might be a part of that as well and so um i'm just not sure if you know even we can compare that send-off game to what this game might be like i'm thinking about you know the last time that we played at uh, Stadium Australia in this tournament. Um, it was against Nigeria, so we lost that game. So, I mean, it might it's probably not going to be a stadium issue, but maybe that'll be, um, you know, a factor as well. Um, you know, who knows? I think that there are so many things that could happen with this game, but I think that when it comes down to it, I would like, I really, really like Australia to win. It will be so great if we can continue our World Cup campaign um, especially on home soil, but I think that France will be just that little bit stronger than us and get the result, unfortunately. Yeah, I think you made some great points, Jason. I think you made some great points too, Callum, but uh, a couple of Jasons I'm going to pick out there um, that I, I don't think I fairly characterise how good France have been in this tournament. They have been sensational. Um, they have been super consistent. And, uh, you know, it's not all going to be Sam Kerr starting or not. Um, I think France also are just maybe that next step in quality of opponent as well compared to the other other teams that we've played. Some people might argue that considering we played the Olympic gold medalists in Canada. But uh, I think France are just maybe a notch above even them as well. And also the send-off game is something that, that you know, it, it, it didn't... It didn't really factor into my thinking that send-off game. You know, if it say the results was re- were reversed and France had defeated Australia, you could imagine how fired up the Matildas would be to set the record straight. And uh, you know, France are a uh, a quality professional outfit, and they'll be just as fired up as we would have been if the results were reversed. But what's interesting with this bracket, we all have different semi-finals going on here. Jason has France. England, Calum has Australia, England. What a fucking matchup that'll be if that comes to pass. And I have France versus Colombia. Jason, you first, mate. France, England. France and England. (coughs) I'll go with France for that one. I don't think England have been too exceptional, um, whereas France have. So Okay. Calum. If it's England, Australia, Australia win. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. I've got to say, even though I made my own predictions, I love your predictions because England versus Australia in any sporting contest, it doesn't get any bigger than that, and that would be huge in a World Cup semi-final. Uh, I'm with Jace, though, in the uh, semi-final bracket that I picked. France, Colombia, I think this is where the Colombia um, fairy tale ends and France make it through to a final where they will take on Sweden. And I think France will probably beat Sweden too. So you have France, Spain in your final, Jason, and you have Spain and Australia in your final, Callum. No, I have Australia and Japan in my final. Oh, uh, wow. Australia, Japan in your final. That is it. Oh, we're going to look into that shortly. But France, Spain, who wins that one, Jace? France and Spain. Wow. I'll, 
I want to say Spain. How's the storyline if those are the two teams that play off in the final of the World Cup, given the, uh, you know, the, the problems they've had with players sort of sitting out and, mm. and, and things of that nature and changes in the coaching hierarchy and, and, and all those types of things. That would be a fantastic story for a journalist. That would be a fantastic story to sort of uh, sink your teeth into if it was a France-Spain final and you've gone Spain to win. Okay, now, Callum, I said before I loved your predictions and that's when I thought it was Australia versus Spain. But you've got Australia and Japan in the final. I said it doesn't get bigger than Australia-England in a semi-final. But if Australia played Japan in the final, surely that's going to be history, two Asian teams in a World Cup final for the first time ever. And it's going to guarantee an Asian winner. And who is that Asian winner that uh, you think is going to lift the trophy given our predictions tonight? Yeah, um, look, I've got to stick to my guns and I've got to say to Matildas, I said from the beginning that they're going to win. And at this point, maybe they will win at the end. I've got to tell you, you're on a hell of a redemption path after the Men's World Cup, mate. <laughs> you are just killing it right now. And I'm all about Callum's predictions here. Anything else to add about the World Cup quarterfinals, boys? Honestly, I know that we've just predicted basically the finals, but, uh, you know, we've got, you know, eight, seven games till then. So it was mm-hmm. the quarterfinals. So, um, yeah, hopefully it's just as exciting as the group stages and the round of 16. Whatever. Absolutely. And we'll be playing this bracket predictor in the uh, quarterfinal wrap uh, podcast as well. Callum, anything else to add, my friend? A couple of things. One, watch us all be wrong. <laughs> and the semi-finals completely different, <laughs> which would be funny. Um, it would be hilarious, yeah. Two, I think any of these eight teams could win. I think they've all shown that they can hit that level. It's just a matter of who ends up performing on the night. That's what it always comes down to in these big matches, isn't it? Particularly in knockout football, it's just about the team that is most switched on on the night. And, you know, if you were looking at the eight teams in a table, you'd probably say Colombia are at the bottom of that table as far as likelihood to win the whole tournament. But the fact of the matter is they just need to play three games just like they've played the last four games and they're world champions. So um, that's that, That's the beauty of knockout football. Giuliani against Kerr. And it's saved. Kerr might get to the rebound. She does. <laughs> Sam Kerr gets her 32nd goal. That's the round of 16 wrap from the Australian World Cup podcast. Callum, thanks again for joining me here. Where can people find you to, uh, you know, support your idealistic picks for the World Cup? (laughs) Sure, you can find me on X (laughs) at Callum underscore Logie and you can also find me on Instagram at Callum.Logie.5. Absolutely, mate, on for all the listeners out there, Callum just made the X sign like he was a member of Degeneration X. One for the older folks out there, maybe. Uh, Jason, where can we find you, pal? You can find me on Twitter. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no you can find me on all good socials um, at Jason Herbs. Fantastic. You can find me at Stewie is sick of it on X. Uh, and you can find me at Stewie the Sports Guy just about everywhere else. Uh, be sure to follow the pod. Jace, what's the podcast handle? At Australian WC Pod. You can also follow Edge of the Crowd for our all inclusive coverage of the FIFA Women's World Cup. We are just ramping up as the tournament is dying down. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back for a quarter final wrap. I'm Stuart Kavanagh. He's Callum Logie. That's Jason Irvine. And we'll see you next time.